The Progress Report is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network. A new podcast on the network that I want to highlight is the latest from Oats for Breakfast, where host Umar Mohammed and Adam King discuss the fallout of the failed attempt to organize an Amazon fulfillment center in Bessemer, Alabama. And that's just one show. There's a ton of other amazing content on Harbinger, and I can't say how grateful I am that this amazing project exists. Get access to exclusive shows and other supporter-only content at harbingermedianetwork.com. Now, on to the show. Friends and enemies, welcome to The Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney. We're recording today here in Amiskwichibuskaigan, otherwise known as Edmonton, Alberta, here in Treaty 6 territory. And uh, joining us today is Aline Brown of The Intercept. Aline is a, a journalist who recently broke, uh, quite frankly, an incredible story about how Alberta-based pipeline company Enbridge is paying and supplying their own private anti-pipeline, pro, anti-pipeline protest police force in Minnesota, as well as influencing government to get what they want uh, as the construction of that Line 3 pipeline proceeds through the state. Aline, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. You know, it's, I mean, I think the joke is that like Minnesota is the most, you know, Canadian part of Canada. And now that, that <laughs> Minnesota has, and now that Minnesota has moved into like uh, pipeline, uh, brutally repressing, uh, you know, indigenous led pipeline protests, they really are uh, really just kind of stepping in Canada's footsteps. Yeah, I guess the upper Midwest has, has that in common with Canada. <laughs> So, so let's let's uh, jump into this story and let's let's set the stage here and, and just establish some facts. I think Line Three is kind of one of the less famous of the pipelines, uh, you know, that Alberta politics has become obsessed with over the past decade or so. But but let's just kind of establish some baselines about Line Three. So it is a it's a pipeline replacement project. It's replacing an existing pipeline, right? Yeah, so that's true. But um, this replacement project actually dramatically expands the volume of tar sands oil that will um, pass or that would, if the project is completed, pass through uh, Minnesota. Um, So the pipeline, the pipeline that's in place right now is really old, corroded. Um, It's not running at full capacity. This expansion will basically double what it can transport. Um, And it also is rerouted in some areas, you know, in Minnesota in particular, um, the Leech Lake Reservation did not want the pipeline to continue to go through um, their land. And so uh, the pipeline is going through a new area and, um, you know, so communities will face the risks the pipeline represents for the first time. Interesting. And, and so this, to give you a context of where this pipeline is going from what place to what other place, it's it's going from Hardesty, Alberta, which is just outside of Edmonton, all the way to Superior, Wisconsin, which is uh, an oil refinery and storage hub that's just over the Minnesota Minnesota border in Wisconsin. And it's right on the westernmost tip of, of Lake Superior. Uh, fun fact about uh, Superior, Wisconsin, there was a another Canadian oil company, uh, Husky, which is now Synovus, which had a massive refinery explosion in Superior in 2018 that injured 36 people, and that refinery is still being rebuilt. Uh, but apropos of nothing, just wanted to mention that when I was doing the, the research for this piece. But 
But this is, again, while it might be one of the less famous pipelines, this is, again, a massive project. The largest project that Enbridge, uh, the company, has ever done comes in at around $9 billion. The pipeline is more than 1,600 kilometers long. And as you said, it does increase the capacity, uh, uh, the carrying capacity of the, of the pipeline. And when fully, op- when fully operational, we'll be able to move 760,000 barrels per day. And most importantly, the only segment of this line that is not yet complete is the 542 kilometers of the pipeline that travel through Minnesota. And so Enbridge is is very keen to get this uh, a pipeline construction done. And really, where it all really gets kind of fucked up is this detail from the story that that you wrote uh, in the Intercept on this. And it it blows my mind that as part of the permit to build line three, the Minnesota Public Utilities Commission created a special Enbridge funded account that public safety officials could use to pay for policing Enbridge's political opponents. Why why did they do this? So, you know, this all really goes back to Standing Rock, which if um, your listeners will recall, um, was this big pipeline fight in um, Minnesota's neighboring states, um, particularly in North Dakota in 2016 and 2017. So thousands of people came to these camps on the edge of the Standing Rock Reservation to fight the Dakota Access, or to stop the Dakota Access Pipeline, um, you know, nonviolently. This was the biggest um, international gathering of U.S. tribes in the last century. It was a really big deal. And, um, you know, as people participated in these direct action protests, um, the private security and police response um, was enormous. So one of the most iconic scenes from that movement was um, police spraying uh, fire hoses on um, demonstrators at night in below freezing weather. Um, at one point, private security also sicked, um, police dog or not police dogs, private security dogs on, um, pipeline opponents. It's another thing that was captured on video. So the repression, um, in connected to that movement, um, is, is quite notorious. Um, In turn, the law enforcement and uh, public security agencies and other public agencies in North Dakota incurred massive expenses. Um, I think it was I think it was thirty eight million dollars that they ended up paying to respond to um, this these pipeline demonstrations. Um, And so Minnesota, as they were seeing line three uh, come up and, and seeing that there was going to be massive opposition to this project, you know, for seven years, people have been. Um, opposing this project in public hearings and various other venues, um, Minnesota was really afraid of another Standing Rock. Um, And so they wanted to set something up so they wouldn't face those kinds of expenses. And um, really a lot of what's in um, the Line 3 permit is kind of these measures to um, avoid uh, the pitfalls of Standing Rock. Um, But in doing that, they kind of institutionalized this public-private collaboration, particularly between security, um, you know, various security agencies in Minnesota and um, the 
Enbridge Corporation. So this, um, this account is kind of the prime example. Uh, it was set up so that um, Enbridge would deposit an initial chunk of money into this uh, state-managed account, and uh, law enforcement agencies and other public agencies would be able to submit invoices um, for expenses directly related to the pipeline. Um, there was also an opportunity for agencies to submit applications for um, for grants related to human trafficking, um, since a lot of people were worried about the issue of missing and murdered indigenous women and the risk that an influx of temporary workers from, you know, largely from out of state or in, you know, I think largely from out of state um, would present to um, these communities. Um, so, so there is an official that has been appointed by Minnesota to approve each of these invoices that comes through. Um, but ultimately it's Enbridge that's paying police to protect their pipeline from, you know, nonviolent demonstrators. Yeah. Protect in this case is, is, uh, is doing a lot of work. Um, yeah, no kidding. I mean, I uh, I obviously have a lot of issues with this kind of like privatization of police and this like incredibly messed up relationship between, you know, police and, and this Canadian based pipeline corporation. But like, it just seems that the media, the mainstream media is kind of just cottoning on that this is a problem now. Like your report, you've reported on this for a while, but um there's this uh, story from the Minneapolis Star Tribune from uh, April 24th, uh, you know, that goes into some detail, like they're following up on your reporting about how much money they've shelled out for law enforcement on these line three protest costs. But I'm just going to read a quote from it because it's, it's one of these kind of hilarious journalism speak things. Quote, some legal experts said the fund raises sticky questions about the line between public law enforcement and private security needs. I don't want to make any claims that this is a good thing or a bad thing, but it is a fraught thing, said Henry Blair, a professor at Mitchell Hamline School of Law in St. Paul. The question at the ground level is, does private party money going towards a government function impact the way police are prioritizing their obligations? Are police occupying that neutral position that we want them to be occupying? protesters say they are not <laughs> which is uh, a lot of words that like you could you could literally handle in a paragraph and just say yeah uh these this public private uh partnership is bad because the, the police are not supposed to be the playthings of private corporations <laughs> but um you know there's that's mainstream kind of journalism for you um it's uh it's it's a it's a funny thing but but i mean who could have predicted that like having pipeline companies pay for policing costs of pipeline protests could lead to the police being less than neutral um you know me if you had asked me i i would have predicted that yeah i mean you know enbridge is paying the police to um monitor and its political opponents you know like it creates an incredible incentive for um, police to err toward the interests of this pipeline corporation um, that a lot of Minnesota residents say presents a serious risk to, um, you know, their health and um, the future of 
you know, the, the future of the globe, really, because it's climate change that is um, one of the biggest uh, risks here. Exactly. And and I think now is a good time to get into kind of the details of what you've discovered in, in the course of your uh, reporting on this. You know, how much are Enbridge and the police and the government of Minnesota kind of cooperating to kind of quash dissent and protest? Um, yeah. So, I mean, obviously there's this account um, and the hundreds of thousands of dollars that have so far gone toward um, local law enforcement. Um, But there's also, you know, other kinds of coordination. Um, You know, so one, another thing that's in the pipeline permit is that um, Enbridges would put together these security plans for each county. And in each county, the local sheriffs would review and approve these security plans. So, you know, it was meant to be kind of a safeguard against, um, you know, activities that uh, public police might not like, but it really institutionalizes public-private collaboration. Um, You know, another example that I uncovered via public information requests was, um, again, surrounding this account and the public official that would approve these invoices that law enforcement has been submitting. So this summer, um, law enforcement, or a lot of sheriffs along the route were really kind of concerned about who would be put in this position. Um, so one email I um, I got via a public information request was from a sheriff um, in one of the counties along the route saying, you know, we really need to let the Public Utilities Commission know that the person selected needs to be someone that we agree upon, not a member of the Public Utilities Commission, not a state or county or federal employee, but someone that has an understanding of rioting and um, field force operations. Um, In response, uh, another sheriff you know, replies and says, I had a discussion with Troy Kirby and Bridges chief of security this morning and expressed concern over that position on the escrow account. He indicated that they have some influence on the hiring of that position and he would be involved to ensure that we are taken care of one way or another. Um, you know, so this indicates if nothing else that the sheriffs um, or some of the sheriffs along the route are in close communication with uh, Enbridge security officials and that there's kind of a shared um, shared interest that, you know, Enbridge is assuring the sheriffs that they will take care of these law enforcement officials. Um, whether or not Enbridge really influenced um, the hiring of this account manager, um, I think we don't have all the details yet. Uh, the guy that was hired is a, um, you know, former police officer from the Twin Cities area, the, me- the big metro area in Minnesota. Um, you know, so he came from the public sector. Um, but I think there's still questions about, of course, Enbridge, you know, Enbridge didn't really comment. Um, the Public Utilities <laughs> Commission says that, says that uh, Enbridge had nothing to do with this hire. Um, But, you know, trying to do some more digging to find out if that's true or not. Um, 
Yeah. And I guess one other thing I would say, it, you know, I'm, I actually have a lot more public records I'm still going through. I think I'll be able to share more details about this p- public-private collaboration as time goes on. Um, but one thing I've heard from um, people on the ground is that there's a sense that private security has police on speed dial. So, you know, one pipeline opponent said, um, you know, she'll, she and others will show up um, in the vicinity of a construction site, not even necessarily on the construction site. And she'll get a text from the sheriff not long after, um, indicating that he knows that she's there. So she, you know, and she's heard that images of her have been passed along to this sheriff, presumably from, um, private security. So, and and if you go there, um, private security on all these sites, there's a truck with a guy, um, filming you with his camera. Um, so where those images are going, I think we don't really know, but we can guess that perhaps they're going to the police. Interesting. So you, I mean, you brought it up. What, what kind about the kind of situation on the ground, what kind of activism and protests and organizing have we seen on the ground against uh, line three in Minnesota and like, who are the players? What are their concerns? Sure. So over the past year, um, a number of different people have organized small camps near planned construction sites. Um, so in recent and in, in the last few months since construct, construction began in December, um, they've held a number of kind of gatherings and ceremonies at the edge of rivers um, put at risk by the pipeline um, with some people organizing more obstructive kind of direct action protests protest where they'll, for example, lock um, lock themselves together in a chain blocking access to a construction site or lock themselves to um, some kind of construction equipment so as to slow down um, to, so as to slow down construction. Um, but you know the um, all of the people I've spoken to who are involved um, really adhere to um, a philosophy of nonviolence um, and really, um, the range of people participating in this movement is pretty wide. So there's people that will lock down to equipment. There's people that will kind of march down a sidewalk. It's, it's really broad. Um, but the issue, the movement is certainly led by Anishinaabe women, I would say, and non-binary people, um, particularly members of the Ojibwe tribes in Minnesota. Um, and there's kind of three different I guess, bundles of problems that people are talking about with relation to the pipeline. So, and I would say that's treaties, climate, the climate crisis and water. Um, So the pipeline, there's, you know, a a few uh, big Ojibwe reservations in Minnesota and the pipeline kind of passes through this space in, in between the reservations. Um, But that territory is still treaty territory. So various tribes in Minnesota have rights to hunt and gather and carry out other activities on this chunk of treaty land. Um, So multiple tribes are arguing that they were not properly consulted on um, the construction of this pipeline through their treaty territory and that um, the pipeline uh, threatens treaty rights. 
Um, there's also people really concerned about the climate crisis and the fact that tar sands oil is one of the most polluting fossil fuels um, in the world. Um, and so at a moment where we really need to be cutting back um, production of fossil fuels and use of fossil fuels, this pipeline is significantly expanding um, the transport of, um, you know, this incredibly dirty fossil fuel. Um, then there's also a lot of people, and obviously there's overlap between all of these people concerned about all these things. Um, a lot of people are worried about the risk that the pipeline represents to water. So Enbridge is responsible for some of the largest inland oil spills in the U.S. Um, Enbridge. Oh yeah, people in people in Michigan, people in Michigan love Enbridge, right? Especially around Kalamazoo. Yeah, exactly. So there was this massive spill in the Kalamazoo River um, a few years ago that um, you know was really nasty. It wasn't noticed right away. This dill bit oozed into um, the river and and these tributaries kind of sunk to the bottom and was really hard to clean up. Um, so that's kind of the most famous um, Enbridge oil spill in the U.S. But actually, um, I believe the largest inland oil spill in the U.S. was actually Enbridge Line 3. Um, this was a spill in um, around Grand I think it's Grand Rapids, Minnesota, um, that occurred in the 90s and really, you know, didn't get much publicity until um, opponents of this Line 3 expansion uh, did some research and realized that this is, had happened. So, you know, there's a record that people are looking to and are very concerned about. Um, that's when the pipeline is in operation. People are also worried about the process of drilling this pipeline under, um, these rivers and waterways. So a number of, um, rivers will require this kind of horizontal directional drilling, um, that kind of risks, uh, a lot of the risk there has to do with the, fluids that um, kind of lubricate the passage of the pipeline under the riverbed. So it's not going through the water, it's actually going under it. And in other places, um, there have been these incidents where that fluid um, has kind of gotten loose and, and leaked into waterways. And um, there's a lot of sediment in that fluid that can kind of like cloud the waterways and um, risk uh, drinking water and um, aquatic life. Um, so yeah, so those are kind of the the range of issues that people are are concerned about. And, you know, people are really, especially for indigenous people, um, these lands and waters are really kind of inherent to, um, to their identities, to who they are as people. So people are really um, saying that they're if, if this continues to go forward, they're willing to put their bodies on the line to, to block this nonviolently, to block this pipeline. Um, and, and right now, I guess the other, there's also legal fights going on, and there's a lot of pressure on the Biden administration um, to, to put a halt to this pipeline. Um, we'll see if that happens. And how much of the pipeline is actually kind of constructed at this point, and how much is still remaining? It is about 50% done. And a lot of what's 
left is this horizontal directional drilling under rivers and waterways. So people are kind of looking to this summer as a period of a lot of um, a lot of protest and action if if construction continues. They're kind of on pause right now. They say. Mm. So in Alberta, you know, last year we we drafted a law that made it like super extra illegal to kind of protest pipelines and disrupt you know so called critical oil and gas infrastructure. Has has Minnesota kind of jumped on that train? Are they looking at doing something similar? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that has been a trend across the U.S. since Standing Rock. Um, So since 2017, um, 16 bills that criminalize, um, I guess, uh, protest against pipelines in particularly uh, in particular, um, have passed in various states. Um, these are called, these are known as critical infrastructure protection laws. So they're kind of attached to this really neutral sounding framework of critical infrastructure, um, that suggests that a, something like an oil pipeline is so important to the economic security and physical security of the U.S. that it deserves extra protection. Um, and so a lot of these laws, um, yeah, increase penalties for people that trespass on um, fossil fuel in infrastructure property, um, or, you know, a lot of times they use really vague language, like, you know, you can't impede the, um, activity of this critical infrastructure. What impede means, you know, I guess is up to this you know, prosecutor or police. Um, and in a lot of cases, they also have penalties for anybody that conspires with someone to trespass <laughs> on, this property. Um, and in, in some cases, the penalties for those people are even higher than they are for actual trespassers. Um, this year alone, uh, I think the laws just passed in Kansas and Arkansas, um, critical infrastructure laws, and um, there's pending bills in Minnesota, as well as Alabama and Montana. And um, Minnesota actually has like four different <laughs> draft legislation um, with varying, I guess, I, I mean, I guess they're just kind of throwing a bunch of options out there, hoping someone will go for it. Um, and uh, it's actually something that's been introduced in Minnesota kind of year after year. I think it's kind of unlikely that it will pass. But, um, you know, as you can see, looking back to 2017, um, this model has really had, had legs. Um, and it's, it's actually been pushed by the American Legislative Ex- Exchange Council, which is this notorious organization. Um, Famously where... evil, you could even call it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, where state, mostly Republican state legislators um, kind of team up with lobbyists, part- um, including fossil fuel industry representatives to um, advance bills that they agree are going to be great for for everyone especially industry um yeah, so they, Alec, they, draw, they um, draw up bills they draw up bills at these like meetings and then they spread those bills all across the country right exactly and so this critical infrastructure bill is one that 
they have been promoting since 20, I think, yeah, since 2017. And, you know, organizations like the American Petrochemical Manufacturers Association, I might be getting that acronym wrong, but um, have, have really been instrumental in, um, in advancing these bills. Um, so it's just another kind of tool in the toolbox for industry, the fossil fuel industry to sort of team up with the criminal justice system to go after their political opponents. So you're a Minnesotan, even though I, I don't think you live there anymore you do cover it. And, and, Mm-hmm. you know the place well like what what are the politics uh of minnesota like and where does this issue kind of rank like in alberta we have this like incredibly toxic like petro politics where like pipelines are just this incredibly toxic there's this multi-partisan bipartisan consensus that pipelines are the best thing ever and that everything must be done in order to build more pipelines what's the situation on the ground like in minnesota when it comes to this issue Yeah. So I'd say it's kind of varied. It's not like, you know, Standing Rock was primary, Standing Rock is in North Dakota and there, you know, there's a lot of um, oil and gas production that drives politics. In Minnesota, there's less of that. Um, And the state is kind of known as a progressive state, particularly because there's this big metro area of Minneapolis and St. Paul um, that, that drives a lot of politics. Um, but, you know, if you get outside the metro area, the politics look really different. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, support for the fossil fuel industry. And, um, you know, a lot of counties ha- get um, tax revenue from things like pipelines. So um, I think it's really it's really mixed. Um, you know, there's also a lot of it. Minnesota's a really watery place. A lot of people are, um, you know, engaged in different outdoor activities and sports. Um, a lot of hunters and anglers and um, hikers and campers. Um, so that interest in protecting that, um, you know, that those lands and waters um, is significant. Like I said, there's also a lot of indigenous people in Minnesota who are really driven to protect um, these lands and waters. And so the 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 governor right now, um, Tim Waltz, is um, I would say kind of said I would yeah I would say centrist in that he um, wants to give an appearance of um, you know I don't I guess protecting the environment and the climate. He's listening, and, to, and he's listening to your concerns, but he's not actually going to do anything right. about it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And he's been very, you know, a lot of people have also been looking to the um, police and security um, response in the Twin Cities to um, the uprisings related to the police killing of George Floyd. Um, you know, Tim Waltz has been pretty, um, pretty quick to um, deploy the National Guard, for example. Um, And so a lot of people see that as kind of a testing ground for what might happen in Northern Minnesota uh, this summer. 
yeah, this summer definitely seems to be like a big flashpoint, as you said, when it comes to kind of completing line three and the resistance, the indigenous led resistance against it. Uh, the, the kind of final thing I want to bring up in regards to this story is got to end on this, got to end on the, the celebs, the celebs have weighed in and, um, you know, I, I regret to inform the war room here in Alberta, which, uh, Aline, if you're not aware, is this $30 million a year propaganda shop, the, the government of Alberta set up in order to kind of prosecute, uh, and, and do PR war stuff for the oil and gas industry. Um, but Country legend superstar Bonnie Raitt has contributed vocals uh, to a song that was just recently released called No More Pipeline Blues. And it's a song that's raising money and awareness for various kind of stop blind three causes in Minnesota. Um, Bonnie Raitt and the Indigo Girls are on this track. And Bonnie Raitt mentions, you know, tar sands, which again is, is a bad word here in Alberta, and sings the lines, one million barrels a day come through these sacred lands on this land to which we belong with oil thicker than crude. 4,000 workers come on our way, got them pandemic pipeline blues. Uh, yeah, uh, I expect that the war room will be whipping up a, a petition and some type of uh, flashy online campaign to you know, get Bonnie Raitt to apologize to our hardworking oil and gas workers uh, literally like any day now. Um, and that, that, that is going to be the song that that's going to take us out. Uh, Aline, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on the pod and kind of explaining the situation here. This is, this is one of those, again, pipeline politics is this kind of ubiquitous thing in Alberta, but, uh, you know, this is an Alberta based corporation that is incredibly <laughs> incentivized and all in on getting this this uh, project completed in in another country in another state where indigenous uh you know where where indigenous people and, and various first nations along the route have very real concerns much like we have seen in pipeline projects in canada and so um uh again thanks again for coming on the pod what's uh, the best way for people to kind of find you on the internet follow along with your work um, yeah, so my work is published at theintercept.com, um, and you can also follow me on Twitter at um, Eileen Brown, uh, and I'm on Facebook at Eileen Brown, and I publish or post all my work in all those spaces. Awesome. Well, uh, also, folks, if you like this podcast and you want to keep hearing more like it, it's very easy. You know, share it with your friends, post it on your social media channels. Uh, writing reviews on Apple Podcasts are also very helpful. And uh, and if you really like this podcast, the biggest thing you can do to support us is to join the roughly 500 other folks who help keep this independent media project going and go to theprogressreport.ca slash patrons, or there's just a link in the show notes. Put in your credit card and contribute $5, $10, $15 a month, whatever you can afford. We really appreciate it. Also, if you have any, also if you have any notes, thoughts, things you think I messed up on, things you think I need to hear about, I'm very easy to reach. You can reach me by email at duncank at progressalberta.ca, and I am also on Twitter far too much at... Uh, at Duncan Kinney. Thanks again to Aline Brown for coming on the pod. Thanks to Cosmic Fam You Communist for our amazing theme. The song I mentioned earlier featuring Bonnie Raitt, the No More Pipeline Blues song, that is going to play us out. And, uh, you know, take stay safe, take care of yourself out there. Bye. Ninkai <laughs> 
This is the same water that was here when dinosaurs were here. There is no new water. This is the only water we will ever know. This is the same water that my great ancestors drank from and harvested our wild rice upon. Which we belong with oil 